Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To the bar, eat some wings, get a flight, sick in a bin. Play it. Welcome back to Cultaholic Island. This is where we invite the great and the good across the wrestling landscape and beyond to choose three wrestling matches that they would watch while stranded on a desert island. As you've heard uh, from professional wrestlers on this show, voices behind wrestling, minds behind wrestling. But I love when this takes us uh, down an estuary to find fans uh, from different walks of life, different genres of, of business to who fall in love with wrestling. And I'm delighted uh, to welcome today's castaway, uh, a wrestling fan uh, with a fine musical pedigree. Some know, some know him as Sam Duckworth. We also know and love him as Get Cape Where Cape Fly. Sam, how you doing today? Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. I'm trying to place where you are. You look like you're in a studio. I, mean, I genuinely thought to your left was a typewriter. And I got quite excited. That's, it, that's a sympathiser. Yeah, that I'm in the studio working on a new record. So your your new stuff. Uh, there was you had a bit. Your, there's a project that you're working on that got some love from Jamie Cullum recently, wasn't there? Yeah, so I just produced an album, kind of co-wrote and produced a record with a guy called Deli Sasumi, who was um, one of the band leaders in Felakutu's Egypt 80. The best way to describe um, Bella is he's kind of as big as the Beatles in Nigeria, as politically game-changing as the Sex Pistols. Wow. Like, musically, you know, from James Brown, Prince, you know, it grooves like that. So, yeah, fortunate to be to be working with Dele, who is the keyboard player and band leader in the Egypt Lady, and we made a record together down here in Southend. How did you guys come together? Um, every year on what would have been Fella's birthday, they do a thing called Celebration, where there'll be a band that um, plays and there'll be guests and collaborations. And um, I was asked to um, to go to the, the London one of those. I went to, um, to part of a project called Africa Express, which takes artists um, to different parts of Africa to meet other musicians and just hang out and jam. And like, it's a, it's a purely like musical learning and fun experience. You know, it's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't come from a political point. It comes from like a, you know, music is amazing and it, you know, how great it is it to learn from others and not just 
then about the musical styles and how it all meshes, but also then the context of the lyrics that are being um, delivered. And, and and that ticks a lot of boxes for me. Uh, as you say there, as big as the Beatles, as politically game-changing as the Sex Pistols, uh, did was this something you knew going into it or was it something that you discovered uh, whilst this was all being put together? So I went to um, Nigeria in, I think, it, into Lagos to, in 2008 for Celebration Fel- uh, 70. Um, there was about 30 musicians that went over there. And um, and we did a kind of four hour and a half hour improvised show in the Shrine Club in downtown Lagos, like 3000 capacity. So the project's kind of touches a wide base of musicians. Uh, so we had um, so David Dave Orman was was there kind of helping coordinating, inviting people, Flea from Chili's, Kano, um, and then Baba Marl, Amadou Mariam, like some of the best artists in the world, basically, in a hotel for four days, having a jam um working out a show so that was the first time i'd ever really kind of delved into the music of fella and then it kind of like well to be honest it kicked my ass (laughs) (laughs) out of nowhere (laughs) and politics at once um and from that point i was just yeah really fascinated with the genre and delhi ran a club in south uh in in East London, called Afrobeat Vibrations, and it would like start at ten and finish at four, and it would just be live music for like seven hours. It was wicked, and so we kind of bonded through that. Got to know each other, and then after lockdown, we were just we were kind of going. It's ages, ages now that we've known each other and talked about doing something. But we've not done it. Should we just do it? So yeah, he came came down here. We stayed at the studio for a week and just got it done. And uh, and the, the the single from it now, you and Adela Sassimi, that came out on February the first. Adela Sassimi in the Estuary. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful mix. Like a big part of what you've always done uh, is you know is that this 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 hybrid of of different styles and flavors and and making something that might seem too out there for a standard consumer, making it palatable again and introducing an entire you're, you're basically a doorman to great music is the best way to describe it Sam. you're a doorman you're standing there going all right come this way head in there you want to go left and you want to go there and go there first and that's a really powerful position to be in and, 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 I, and I don't know whether anyone's described you as a doorman before not a doorman doormat <laughs> uh, I, I can say this this is like an environment that I feel like I could give a window into my psyche that I wouldn't be able to elsewhere because I've watched so many, like, I love wrestling. Like, I love it. You know, it's, 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 you know, like the extent that like away fans love football, I love wrestling. You know? So I've watched a lot of, you know, beyond the territories, you know, all of the kayfabe commentary stuff, right the way through to stuff on the network and what happened when and 83 weeks and something to wrestle with. And, you know, the the vast array of like, I love UK podcasting because it's, it's it doesn't take itself as seriously as like anyone that's like the biz in America. But fantasy booking and show booking, you realise that like, they talk about ECW, they talk about WCW, as its strengths as being strong cruiserweights in the mid card, bit of hardcore stuff, you know, making sure that something's balanced. When you like a lot of different styles of something and you've got to smash it into one box, I kind of view like making a record as like booking a card. 
you know, like I want the beat to feel like it's got something from UK Garage, but I know like to balance that out, I need to have something that's more traditional. So the song's got to be direct, you know, so I kind of piece it together in, you know, my two loves of things that I love to have on in the studio when I'm working are wrestling and cooking. And I think that like mashing genres up is just that. It's finding balance, finding flow and realising that like the sum of the music is always the people involved and not who's putting it together. So sometimes you just have to step back and just let it do its thing and it's going to turn out better than if you planned it. That's a really great way of going about it. And and I don't think anyone's ever described to me putting together an album in the way that you do, like booking a wrestling card. I love that. That's excellent. And in fact, let's kind of book this somewhat of a card because as the premise of the show says, we're sending you onto a desert island, Sam, and we're going to invite you to take three wrestling matches with you to watch while you're there. As the interview goes on, we'll go through them one by one. But what would you like your first match to be, Sam? Well, I've kind of gone about this in a process of trying to work out why these matches are my favourites. Because I think um, it's funny watching, um, well, Osprey Omega this year. Technically, I mean, afterwards, I was like, this might be the best match I've ever seen. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's my favourite match. You know, and I think that part of what makes something your favourite in a match, for me anyway, is is it's representative of a moment in time or it's representative of a passion for a company. You know, what it, it kind of a good, a re, to me, for something to be a perfect match, it has to be on a perfect show. Because so, I've seen some amazing matches that haven't been on amazing shows and they've not had that same crowd momentum. Like, you you know, it's like a wrestling foreplay, right? You start the card, <laughs> by the time the big match comes, you're already, like, halfway there. You know, So and I think that tips a match over. So I went through looking at, like, what my favourite pay-per-views were. And coincidentally, all the matches that I immediately thought of as my favourite matches were also on my favourite cards. Right. So this, because before we started recording, you said, I've got a system. And uh, I was intrigued to find out the system. So it's based on that then, the idea that, okay, this is a great match on its own, but does it stack up against this match, which is great, but on a great card, mm. you know? So I like picked, what you're thinking. So I've picked one that's kind of hardcore and a little bit gritty. One that I would call like a, a technical match. And then one that is big storyline blow off. Nice. I like the categories. Okay. Yeah. So I, I really went in, you know. I watched <laughs> so let's do let's do the technical match to start with. Let's see. If, is that is are you happy to start with that one, or have you got an order in mind? That, yeah. No, oh. that's good to me, and it's a banger to kick it off. Let's do it. Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lynn, Living Dangerously, ninety nine. Oh, he's gone for it straight in there. Oh my God! This now anybody that was that that was discovering ECW in like the in the nineties would have been blown away by this to go. This is what the other side are doing. Talk to us about when you discovered that match for the first time. Um, is it, I was a Power Slam reader, nice. so um, ECW was something that I probably found out about on Power Slam and Raja WWF and Lords of Pain .net and all varieties of the internet before I um, saw it. Um, I also re really remember there was a shop in South End and like, I think every 
mid-sized settlement in the UK had one, which was like comic books, South Park, you know, <laughs> figures. It's like, you know, you're not really going to the goth shop down the market lane, but you're still kind of a bit weird. This is where you go. It's kind of a bridge between, as you say, the goth shop down the lane and maybe Forbidden Planet. Like there's a little place in the middle of those multiverses that floats. And yeah, so that that place and also HMV, they, I mean, all the ECW VHS were, you know, they were available. So um, by that point, I knew what to look out for. And also at a very similar time, ECW on TNN was just debuting on Bravo. So um, I, I went back and watched a lot of stuff. You know, and there was the there was that the, the video with the fist on the cover that had that and had the race Coasters match and like you know all the bangers, all the ones you'd expect. Um, thing for me about Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lynn is that you could, a you know you could cut out the ring and put it in any wrestling event in the last forty years and it would still hold up in exactly the same way. Yes, it would. It's still a beautiful piece of business between those two is there a moment from this match because you, you strike me as somebody that well first of all you strike me as somebody that if we lived down the road from each other we'd have got on really well we'd both be power slam both go to that weird shop to get ecw videos i think we'd have been mates sam but, um, from that though is there something that that you can recall because i feel like again like we know each other like you would have a moment in that match that you go oh just that every time i live for it it's the speed of the um, the planches into over the guardrail, mm. and in that sequence of the leg drop on the you know on the apron, uh, it's what it is for me is that I'd seen planches and bits, but I'd never seen it that fast or that slick or that hard or shot in that way. It was just a, it was a million miles an hour, and it just and the crowd got almost louder for every single one that happened. It just it felt like a different world of wrestling when you've been watching the WWF for so long. This felt like you're opening Pandora's box and going like this is this is something else. When did you become a wrestling fan? Who got who or what got you into it to begin with? Um, so I remember having wrestling figures when I was a kid, and I think WCW was on the afternoons for like when I was like six or something. So I can I have a vague memory of like Blue Matt WCW Ric Flair, um, but it's not that's not how I became a fan. I think it, like a lot of people in the UK, the Attitude Era, Channel Four, Royal Rumble two thousands, you know, like it all kind of that three year period from like ninety eight to two thousand and one. Like it became harder and harder to escape wrestling. And if you were into it, there was a lot of stuff that you could get into. So I ended up um, getting a paper round to pay for cable so I could watch wrestling. You know, so because I used, used to buy tapes or whatever, but that's how I first got into, like, my parents were like, we're not getting Sky, we're not getting Sky. I'm like, if I get a paper, <laughs> can we get it? So that, you know, like up until that point, it was WCW Worldwide with Larry Zbysko was about as much terrestrial TV wrestling as you could get. So that that's around the time that I got into it. And um, to be honest with you, it's only been like a two or three year period since then that I wasn't really into it. Like I say really into it, I mean, watching more than four hours. Like I don't think for a long period of time, there hasn't been a week gone by where I've at least watched three hours of live wrestling. But like, 
around the around the rest of it, I like, really got into it. It was it was the the allure of Sky for a lot of people, like you say. The fact that you went to get a paper round in order to make that happen—that's the commitment. That is out of interest. Um, what do you remember from your paper round? Was there was there a particularly uh, bad part of the neighbourhood? Was there an angry dog? What memories do you have of being being on your paper round, Sam? I really don't. I mean, I'm alright with them now, <laughs> but I don't. I really don't like dogs. You know. No. Really. So. I mean, there wasn't anything too bad. I mean, it, the worst bit was putting the leaflets in. Because you've got like 400 papers and you've got to put five leaflets in and you get paid an extra six quid, but it's compulsory. So <laughs> it ages and then, you know, living room smells like leaflets and your parents are pissed off. And... <laughs> um, that's, I think the first time, that's the first time I had like a Walkman of, you know, so I remember listening to like, music a lot you know i think that's the moment where i was like i really like music you know just two hours like once a week just like listening to the same alkaline trio records and just you know obsessively thinking oh i actually like this i was going to ask you who else was on on your cassette on your walkman for your paper rounds we had alkaline trio on there was there any others that crept onto your playlist Anything that was on Vagrant Records, Sir Saves the Day, Hot Rod Circuit, um, Green Day. Um, basically, if it was kind of, if it was pop punky or pop punk adjacent and slightly angry or nerdy, I was in. Hot Water Music, 100 Reasons, Rival Schools, you know, a lot of angst bands. There's, um, I mean, they're, they're still they're still a thing, Vagrant Records. I believe the 1975 are on the Vagrant Records label. So they're still very much a thing. Oh, yeah, they're Vagrant. Still, yeah, it's going strong. They're still a thing. But it was that music was... It's funny how that sort of music is so connected with wrestling as well, sort of that that sort of energy that comes from there as well. When you were, you were going around your paper route, you had, you, had, um, you had your Walkman on. Was the plan always to get into music? By by the time I transitioned from there to working part-time in Halfords, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is what I'm going to do. It was like, and I just, I get there. So so Halfords was, the, was the, the job to make the money whilst that dream was being discovered? Yeah, so I do like, because I didn't go to uni. I'm still, technically, I'm still on my gap year. You know, <laughs> I take a gap year and here I am, you know, 17 years later. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I suppose, yeah, I'd work three days a week at Halfords so I could go and do three shows. It's like, you know, and, and it was very much, I'd take any shift that was around and then I'd just spend the money on booking mega buses and just playing anywhere that'd have me. Where was the, um, where was your first really far away gig because i know a big part of it was as you say just just getting on the megabus and just going wherever you needed to go um where was the first where was your first farthest flung gig like first you've flown away from home to to pursue the dream so about 30 shows in i ended up doing a show in belfast and that's the first time i'd ever got on a plane Wow! so it was like that was where it was like this is weird <laughs> this is the thing that's happening. But then, I don't know, I suppose going to play in America for the first time was quite wild. Um, 
I know this is going to sound like an odd thing to say, but I never really thought about any of it at the time. It you was just a thing it. that was happening. And the the memories are really good, but I'm, you know, I'm not really a kind of CV kind of guy. I like going to these places because it's, it's new places, new people and new things. And it's awesome to get to see it by playing music. You know, I think it was always a case that it was never a case of, wow, look at all of these things that I've done. It was more like, this is really strange, but also this is really natural. Like it's clearly happened because you've worked hard. If you keep working hard, hopefully it'll keep happening. And when it doesn't keep happening, work find something else. Now the name comes from um is it it's Batman, is it? Is it Batman on the SNES or Batman on the Mega Drive? Like a, a a day before my first gig, I just didn't have a name and I was in venue and it was three subheadings on an, an article and I was like, that'll be good. <laughs> it was a retro gamer, was it? So as <laughs> as as well as being you know, into your wrestling, into your music. You were a big Gaber fan as well. Um, not, re- not really at all. It was just a magazine that was open on the, the counter. Oh, wow. So it was yeah. literally just a chance of that's where the magazine is. The thing for me with gaming is and I've had a few. Like, I remember, like, I loved the first Smackdown on the PlayStation. Yes. My, my problem with games is that I haven't... Well, I have that same outlet elsewhere. Like, if I want to, like, push some buttons and zone out, I just I do it on a keyboard or whatever. It never goes anywhere. It's just you know. So I find that 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 kind of immersiveness and and that kind of achievement mentality. I, I I'm thankful to have that itch scratched somewhere else. So it was like time playing games would be time not playing guitar, and uh, that have run, not been enough time in the day to do anything if I was just playing all the time. If you'd had your time again, and uh, that magazine may not have been open, what would you have gone with stage name-wise? I don't know, is the answer. Yeah. And in many ways, I'm thankful for the name because it worked for a bit, and I'm resentful of the name because I just ultimately hate telling people that that's what I've, the last 17 years of my work are named under. Mm. Um, Why, though? Cause it's really long. Like it's, it's try, you know, you have to say at least three times to a stranger and if people like it, that's great. But if people don't like it, they ain't going to listen to you. I get that. I guess the, yeah, you, you could have, you could have, you could have gone up, down, left, right, A and start, but that's still just as long. But with get Kate, where Kate flies. <laughs> In a good name, but I feel like, I don't, is it extra syllables? Either way. Um, <laughs> But it, you, I, I hear the resentment because I was going to ask you about that as well because I know that that you you retired Get Cape for a, for a good while before you went actually this let's 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 give this another go. What made you bring it back out of the out of the mothballs? Well, Terry Funk has got fifteen comebacks, so I've got. <laughs> <laughs> this is my new name: Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly forever, 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 forever. <laughs> I was like, so embarrassed about coming back. But I was like, uh, LCD Sound System did the same thing. It was actually that shut up and play the hits that made me think, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I think we probably both had that, is it? At the same time, I think I just needed a big break and yeah. to try something new. And I think in hindsight, I could probably have just parked it for a bit and then come back if I needed to. And I think the problem was, is that there are too many songs that I wanted to play that were Get Cape songs. And it got to a point where, like, 
60% of the set was Get Cape songs. It's like, well, maybe these new ones should just be Get Cape songs as well. It'd make it a lot easier for everyone. So you thought, well, let's just, let's roll it back. Let's, let's go with it. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to wrestling because that's why we're here. We're going to talk about wrestling again. So, so please, so you're not, you're not here under false pretenses. We will talk about wrestling much more than this, but it's just nice for people to get to know you a little bit more about your story and, and the name and stuff like that. But now that, now that you, you're, you're doing more stuff, obviously you're doing stuff, uh, in a, in a production role as well, but you're, you, you know, you've released more workers, get Kate, where Kate fly. Is the resentment still there or are you a bit more comfortable with it than you were before? I don't like it. No, I'm okay with it. I you know, you. I imagine, I imagine it's what it must be like um, having a wrestling name that you don't like, but a body of work you can't escape. Yeah, very likely, very likely. I know no. Randy Orton was very resentful of a lot of his theme music. <laughs> I think you would be right. I mean, if you're Randy Orton, especially, you're going to be resentful of everything. Right? <laughs> Bless him. Uh, There's a nice rumour doing the rounds that he's making a comeback soon. I think the ex- to the extent of how much I hated Randy Orton instantly makes me think he's pretty good. That's because it. He was annoyingly good to a point where like, I wanted to see him lose. He <laughs> unfortunately fell in that period of time where like TNA was having its Bischoff, Hogan flirtations, you know, I was watching New Japan and Ring of Honor, but like watching WWE was just painful. It was like three hours of nonsensical monotony. And I think that Orton peaked in that period. So I missed a bit of his like really good work, but I don't know. He's been in a lot of good matches. He's got good timing. He's annoying as hell. And like the RKO has like become... I mean, I remember when he came out, you thought, it's just doing a stunner or a diamond cutter. Somehow that move has established its way into law of non-wrestling fans as being a thing. You know, as, as you know, out of nowhere, you know, that that's a thing, you know. And I suppose you've got to give it to him. It's quite nice when that happens, when you, when, when something, when, when a, a meme of the wrestling variety takes off in the in in the real world because <laughs> you have that little moment of going i know what this is about like it's a nice that, warm feeling isn't there that that's what's funny like I'll, I'll go back just for a second i think orton Rhodes, wrestlemania next year oh nice yeah i mean they're, that... they're friends but also there you can tell there's a little bit of like bitterness towards each other like you could really that that could be a thing that if he's going to come back for something, wrapping that story of fifteen years up, you know, it's, you know, it would be a good one, I think. And you've but, got a year to to add extra brushstrokes to that canvas as well. Like the story there is already so wonderful, but you could really do some extra. You know, you could be a year on. It's like Cody. You know, can he can he put down the uh, the fears of WrestleMania past? With Randy Orton, you know, can he do it one more time against an old foe? Like, it's a great story to tell there with those two. And the whole legend killer as well. Like, I've beaten all of the people that you're going to learn from. So you know, exactly. how are they going to teach you how to beat me when they couldn't beat me? You know, there's, so, there's such a deep canon there. It's good. Uh, 
I like, see, this is the fantasy booking, Sam, rearing his head here, which is nice, which is nice. We'll do, we'll do your second match. We'll talk more wrestling bollocks as well. We'll do your second match. Uh, so uh, we had Jerry Lynn, Rob Van Dam, Living Dangerously, 99, a banger to get us started. What would you like your second match to be, Sam? This was a harder one. You know, well, I should say, actually, in the first, um, the, the near miss on the first one was um, Nakamura AJ Styles from Wrestle Kingdom 10. Ooh, yeah, far superior to what they attempted to do at WrestleMania, rather than yeah. Yes, it was a moment where two wrestlers that were considered the best in their in their worlds came together and smashed it. Mm. That's so that good. Was, that was my near miss technical, oh. and I and I say that because I've I've got two picks for this, and it is I'm going to go with the match that I would that for me I'd want to watch on a desert island rather than the one that I probably think is a better one. So WrestleMania 17, arguably the best of all the WrestleManias. Not my favourite TLC, but TLC 2 has the best WrestleMania spot of all time. That's oh, gosh. So this is where, where um, was it Devon Dudley hanging from the belt and Edge Lord? Oh, Jeff Hardy, was it? Hanging off the belt. Uh, and Edge launched off the ladders with that spear, and they just like plummeted to earth. Oh, it was good. So that that's my near miss. Like I think it's a better show. It's the best WrestleMania. It's a banging moment. It's a it, I love it. But I'm, I'm going to pick Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka for me from W One Night Stand One. Oh, you're getting some you're getting some classics in here. I was intrigued to which awesome Tanaka one you were going to go for because they had some bangers in 2000 in ECW. And then, again, like, like rocking and shocking me when they did One Night Stand and they went, yeah, awesome Tanaka, go out there and have a match. I'm like, they ain't going to let them go at top speed in a WWE-controlled ECW. Then, holy shit, they are. <laughs> okay. And it was... Uh, so... But, is that why that one though over the other ones? Because the others have been fantastic as well. I think in in many ways the others were arguably better. I think that one night stand match couldn't have existed without the others because it was kind of a highlight reel of all the others, like a lot of the spots you'd seen and you could kind of see the callbacks. But so I was um, fortunate enough to go to the um, Nitro at the Docklands Arena. So I'd seen that 70s guy, Mike Awesome, in the flesh. And also with the, you know, the indie booms, Tanaka wasn't really doing his thing. It was like a proper moment where they were two wrestlers that were really, in my opinion, synonymous with ECW, certainly in the era that I was watching it episodically, that um, really fell off the map after ECW went under. And... Also, with the history of Awesome, it was like it, only in wrestling could you have something like a redemption through violence like that. But it was like, I think it was, it, it tied up that thing of like, yeah, I did leave for loads of money and I did almost run off with the title, but, you know, here's a banger with Tanaka, we good. You know, and they smashed it. And I remember waking up, sneaking down, watching it live in the middle of the, you know, and I suppose that's also part of it for me is like, is that I think it was the only, yeah, it was the only ECW pay-per-view I'd watch live. Ah, so you, yeah, because obviously we wouldn't have really yeah, got them over here, would we? There was no way of watching them. 
live other than so i just remember watching it in real time being like this is this is just silly business <laughs> like the fact that like the power bomb over the top it didn't even catch the dive <laughs> because he just it's that was it because he did the power bomb and then they focus on Tanaka, and all of a sudden, Mike Awesome just like bursts into view, like he was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> just incredible. Um, yeah. And and you've got JBL watching it from the balcony, like original. And and even JBL was really good here because JBL spent the whole night just rubbishing ECW, and like and he starts rubbishing this match as it gets started. But then as the match goes on, on like the alternative commentary, you can you can listen to JBL's feed, and as it's going on, he's going like, oh shit. Like he's actually reacting to it like a fan would, as if to go, oh, like or like he's been dragged along to the event and he's reluctantly enjoying it. Like even that was a nice touch. Well, I guess this thing as well is like I'm really hard. Like I can take a beat and I can give one. But then I guess like once you get into a place where that's kind of a given, you know, it becomes about timing, how to utilize those spots, you know. I think it, there's no way that, like, if, if JBO is the, like, locker room hard man that everyone says that he is, like, he'd watch some of those matches and thought, okay, fair play, like, they can give and take. I I didn't like the balcony stuff. Like, I, I just wanted, I wanted a straight-up pay-per-view with no WWE, Raw, SmackDown stuff. I, I just, I felt for me that... um that's the like watching it back. It's the only thing that I that I don't like about that show. I, I'm curious whether you were as um, precious as I was watching that because I, I remember I didn't mind the, the balcony stuff too much, but I thought it was all in spirit of ECW. And then just before the main event, they play an advert for Hell in a Cell the following weekend, and I remember being really annoyed by that. <laughs> Because I'm like, it's an ECW show. Why are you advertising Hell in a Cell? That's not the spirit of things. Did that? Do you remember that annoying you, or was that just me? It might have been just me. Well, no, no, it definitely wasn't. Like, okay. I think it was probably even more like deep in that like resentment bubble because I, you know, I was following like the Forever Hardcore show at the arena, and I knew that Borash. Like, I pledged for the documentary that Borash made that became Forever Hardcore. Like I was. You know, you could say like there were going to be people that weren't on one night stand that should have been. You know, it felt to me like you just you need to do one as it is. You yeah. know, but then at the same time, I don't think anyone could have envisioned WWE, CW, and Sci-Fi following it up. So, if it was. If One Night Stand continued through and this whole alliance and the invasion and all that actually was good, it would be all-time definitive storytelling, masterstroke to have those moments on the balcony. But Tyson Tomko staring down at the ring that is going to be um, the home to Mike Knox versus Big Show, <laughs> like... If a year down the line it's just not I mean I find it amazing that like Mike Knox was um, apparently Heyman's guy but I don't know WWE ECW is not the one 
Oh, I am fascinated by that whole. My uh, before I joined Cultaholic, I myself and a mate of mine, Dave Roberts, we did a podcast. I think it's lost to the annals of time now. It was called Weird Science, and it was chronicling WWE CW because I'm just fascinated by how shit all that was. Like, how do you take something which has got this wonderful, like, deep legacy of this this rebel spirit and you go oh we're just gonna tape it before smackdown and have snitsky beat shelton benjamin i'm like it's amazing how bad it is and and just to go week to week and just see how it fell apart and why it fell apart was just fascinating and like you say tom like tom go looking down at the ring with that would own be home to mike knox and also lest we forget okay batista versus big show Change the channel. <laughs> the crowd changed the channel and booed the shit out of both of them. Oh, it's it's it's. I love it. I I love how short sighted the whole thing was. But uh, I, I like. I'm fascinated by it too. But there's part of me that's like, as I've got older and I've like re like uh, you have to send me towards that podcast. I am in. Like, if you if it's lost, <laughs> yeah. in the but you've got it on a hard drive. Send it over. I will. Like, do. Um, did you have, have you seen the? Um, it's it's called like the unauthorized history of ECW. It's like a panel show on the network with um, Dreamer and Bubba and Devon and Taz and Heyman, Corey Graves, and there's one moment in it where they talk about the production, and they actually show you an in arena shot of how Heyman wanted to light. ECW, right? In in and and it's like it would have worked. Like the idea of like how to light smack pre SmackDown pre Raw Arena and make it look like ECW by just where you box off the light. But I didn't realize, I guess, how much of ECW like outside of ECW Arena was like lit ring, crowd crowd as dark as possible. You know, and it shows how they'd light it, and then you think. Any product that loses its main two stars the day before, like the week of its launch, due to getting busted on the border with loads of drugs, is probably screwed. Mm. But I think that WWECW had three moments that, like, it became a thing that just wouldn't work. And I think that Van Dam and Sabu, and um, you know, if Van Dam was the champion the universal champion going into ECW on sci-fi and Sabu was still there. They'd definitely have had a much better shot than how it launched. I think Vince McMahon winning the title, I mean. <laughs> that was a thing? In a do-rag. <laughs> Flipping egg. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. And then I think the other is like, let's forget like the champ, the, you know, like Benoit and Punk were supposed to have that feud. Mm. You know, so it's like if you were looking at something as this is brand cursed, you'd kind of think, well, maybe it is time to. But in the interim, some of the spectacularly worst television that there has ever been, <laughs> including peak Russo 2000s Nitro. <laughs> like, it's so bad you i love that you mentioned p 
Pete Russo 2000s Nitro because you mentioned a little while ago that you were you were at the Nitro tapings at the Dotlands Arena. And uh, and whilst we were chatting, I've I've pulled up the card for it because I was just intrigued to see kind of. <laughs> so is it now? If I got this right, November thirteenth, two thousand. It was two thousand. Yeah, that was the one. So like you had like Ric Flair opening it to have a chat. You had Crowbar and Big Vito for the hardcore title. Apparently, you had Boogie Nights versus Goldberg. You lucky thing. <laughs> oh, General Rection and Lance Storm for the U.S. title. Um. You actually have Booker T and Lex Luger versus Chronic. Oh, you're spoiling us. You really are. Like going going to this show, like what can you remember? Sort of, I guess because it's it's American wrestling in the UK, so you must have just been buzzing. Yeah. So my mate from school had a spare ticket, and I went out with him, and um, we were sat two rows behind Giovanni. I actually haven't dug it out on the network to have a look, so I should see. But um, so I had a. Uh, Pages of Diamond Geezer sign. Ah, oh, no way! Which I thought was a banger, but um, yeah, he was on camera with his um, Nitro is Awesome sign, so I think you probably see a young me in there somewhere. As we speak, I am hopping onto the network, and let's let's look live and see whether we can find it. I'll do a little screen share with us. We're slightly diverting from Cultaholic Island, but this is. Uh, most certainly worth a worth worth a happy diversion if we can find it. Uh, so November tw- was it twentieth? Did I say? I think it was that one. Um, I've just delete. I've just uh, taken the card down. Right. I think I found it. I think I found it. I'll okay. Yeah, Nitro in London. I'm just intrigued to see whether we got Sam Duckworth on an episode of Nitro in back in the day. Put it like that. I can't. I actually can't believe I haven't looked. Ah, I was just like, you must be there. November 13th. I got the wrong date there. That was my fault. Um, yeah, yeah, emanating from London. It was like their last tour as well. Like they never came back to the UK after this. Yeah, well, I don't know if the UK would have come back to Nitro. <laughs> It was the thing is they did because I believe maybe the year before this there was a tour and one of the nights possibly the Liverpool night was headlined by the Marmalukes versus the the Harris twins as like the mega main event and people booed it out of the arena <laughs> to the point where WCW ended up on Watchdog because they promised Goldberg Booker Sting and none of them were there. <laughs> So, like, you had Anne Robinson having a go at WCW at the same time. Need to find that footage. Oh, my gosh. Right. Okay. If I do a uh, – how do I screen? There's a share screen. Here we go. Here we go. So, if I so maybe share that with you. Mike Awesome's intro would probably – if I was going to be on camera or any time that – Wow. I haven't seen this since I was there. So here we go. So you might be seeing this on the Patreon feed. You might not. But we're currently start of WCW Nitro from London. A rowdy crowd in London for Nitro. Uh, one holding up a sign that says Got Milf. So that's a, a strong start to Monday Nitro. I've seen I whether do, not... like, do you follow that signs from the Attitude Era? Yes. It's, it's, I mean, it's a... The, the world has moved on, thankfully, isn't it? Like, let's put it that way. They are. They were of a time. They were of a time. Now, 
I'm trying to see. Did you say that before the mic awesome match? Yeah, I think that's the most likely. Let's find five minutes. Let's um, find it. Before, before this podcast goes out and we'll both commit to watching it and we'll do a five minute review of it. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the thing that a lot of American companies have realized about doing shows in the UK. Like, give us any old shite. We'll eat it up. We we really will. We're just happy that we're happy to be there. Like capital carnage, insurrection. <laughs> oh my god! Like it's insur- insurrection lives uh, very very is a place in my heart for for insurrection. I think it was insurrection because there was the one that they did in two thousand and three, which was from the Telly West Arena in Newcastle, which is just outside of this window here. Um, there's we're across the road from it. And I love watching it back and just saying, like, this this is awful. It's like a house show that I paid twelve ninety five to watch. Like, it's they really saw us covered, didn't they? Sam? Well, also, it's the like I'd never even heard of pay per view except through wrestling. It wasn't like it just wasn't a British thing, was it? No, we just we just our penance was we stayed up late to watch wrestling. Yeah, that and was, that's why we got it for free. Yeah, we deserved it. <laughs> because we were because we were one staying up till stupid o'clock in the morning to watch it so they got yeah all right you can have it for free now we gotta pay the price of a football ticket to watch a house show we know nothing's gonna happen <laughs> all the while looking out for people that we know that are there that we're jealous <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how it goes that's how it goes sir. um how many other wrestling shows have you been to is there a particular moment from going to a live show that sticks out to you i would Forty, maybe. Um, I've been a lot, like uh, of like forty, fifty shows, maybe over the course of the last ten years. Wow. Okay. Um, I was fortunate enough when um, so Cy Rothstein, um, he does a uh, press and media for Impact, 
at TNA. He was the, the Lillis Boys podcast on, you know, the wrestling podcast. Yeah, we love Simon here. We love Simon. Yeah, so, so I was really fortunate to get to know Simon. And, you know, we did the music video with TNA, shot with um, Austin Aries and Alex Shelley at the Nottingham Arena. Um, I played at the fan parties, did a few of the panel shows with, with, with Borash and like they cracked it, you know, they realized that to launch a product, an international product coming into the UK, like doing things for the fans, making it engaging, making it modern would be the difference between doing 9,000 at Wembley and 4,000 at Wembley. You know, and and they really put the hours in. So I, was, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have seen and watched wrestling from that kind of side of the curtain. Um, I, yeah, I went to every Raw and SmackDown that I could. Like the good thing about having an agent in music is, like, they must get loads of requests for arena shows, but none for wrestling. So they always seem to be tickets down the back of the sofa for anything that we go to. <laughs> and when I, you know, when I lived just down the road, it was great. So um went to that quite a bit. Um, my favourite ever, well, a few years ago, I was fortunate I was on tour in America and had a day off on WrestleMania weekend. And I was like, I always wanted to go to WrestleMania at this point, but the day off was a Saturday. So we were like, ah, oh, we'll go to the Hall of Fame. We were like, if we get up at 4am, we can be in New York by 11, go through to AXA, see whatever show there is that <laughs> night, stay up all night, get the 4am flight back to where we're playing. So we drop the hire car off before, fly through full lap to spend one day in New York for WrestleMania. And then wow. we got announced that it was um, Forbidden Door, sorry, the New Japan Ring of Honor super, uh, G1 Supercard of Honor. Yeah. The one so, at MSG. Yeah, so he flew into Access. Uh, yeah, got... Got in about nine, straight to access, um, straight to um, to the pub. Bumped into loads of people that we'd known from progress shows and from music. They were also out. So I was drinking. Like some of them didn't even know that they'd be out there. It was wicked. Bumping into people by accident that you know from, from local. And then got into um, Madison Square Garden for the first time. See New Japan for the first time. Getting climbing up to our seats, sitting down, and realizing that we'd all bought tickets from the same reseller, <laughs> all, all in the same block, UK contingent, you know, <laughs> and then to, to the bar, eat some wings, get a flight, sick in a bin, <laughs> play, play in front of 3,000 people the next night. It was like, it was a whirlwind. And people like, like Nick Mason and the guys that were doing the, the tour, the headliners were just like, you guys are mad. It's like, don't understand. It's New Japan, Madison Square Garden. Got to go. If you love it, you do it. You don't. You don't think twice about it. Um, the, what's lovely is like I've, we we kind of I realized that how big a wrestling fan you were when uh, when Kate Nash suggested you for this show, which was nice. So yeah, okay. so Kate came to the New Japan show with us actually. She was in New York working on a musical, and um, so I remember when Kate goes, I've got um. She phoned me up and she goes, I've got this um, audition for this show. What can you tell me about Glorious Ladies of Wrestling? And I was like, Whoa. I can tell you a bit. I actually emailed, emailed Dave Meltzer and said, can you just let me know what issues, back issues that you've got that go into to Glow? And then I was like, 
here's 15 promos that you got to watch before your audition. <laughs> I was just like, if you're going to do this, like, I was like, you need to take, like, if you're going to do, you know, because she's like, I don't know who I'll be training with. And she's trained under Chavo Guerrero for 18 months. Wow. You know, they shot it in the, um, uh, what's it, um, Wrestling Society X, where, what's that become? Um, Lucha Underground. They shot it in the Lucha Underground Centre with, um, yeah, Guerrero was the wrestling coordinator, Chavo. So I was like, you got to take it super seriously. Wrestling really matters. And I mean, she loved it. She was natural at it. But yeah, and then she ended up coming with us to that New Japan show. So, so was that where she became a wrestling fan then, from doing Glow and coming along to New Japan? I don't know. I think she things like e- pro wrestling Eve stuff as well. I think she's mm. into it. You know, I don't, I don't know how big a fan sh- she was, but I certainly know that she's had a lived experience of training in the fundamentals in the most hardcore way imaginable. That it wouldn't, you know, interviewing her wouldn't be akin to interviewing somebody talking about, you know training in the territories and working their way through like that, that, I think all of them that, that's why that show is really good it's like the wrestling bits check out I think the same with Aronofsky as a wrestler you know it's like there's been lots of wrestling themed stuff but to do it justice you need to have people in there that understand it as a fundamental and I think putting putting people through their paces and teaching them how to work so then they can work on TV as part of a show it just it, you can see it through the camera I think it's, I like when shows do wrestling that service and therefore it makes the show more compelling. Like I watched uh, Heels when it was on, on Stars, which is, yes. uh, it was really good. Really, really good. It's your chap from um, Vikings and it's Stephen Amell as your lead guys. Um, all, and... in, all in Stephen Amell. Yeah, oh yeah, all in, a famous AEW talent, Stephen Amell. Uh, was was in amongst it as well and it was just a beautiful tribute to wrestling you could tell there was love and there was passion in there and like to the point where like and, and little things that when you knock about in the wrestling scene you see and you hear come to life and like the audience wanting to live it for example like they like Stephen Amell and uh, and the the actor who plays his brother they're both wrestlers his brother wants to be like the ultimate baby face but people are booing him and he's really upset about it and he's like I just want people to I don't want to be a bad guy I want to be a good guy and it's the the contrast of how his brother is an excellent bad guy in wrestling his brother is an excellent good guy in wrestling but outside of it they're the opposite the the guy is his brother's a dick and Stephen Amell's really nice and it's just and and, and they treat all that the wrestling bits with like the the respect it deserves they don't pretend that it's all they that we all think it's real they they actually you know you see them learning to train and stuff and like my 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 wife to be was like watched it with me and she went i i kind of i enjoy watching that like it's not pushed down your throat as a wrestling thing the concept is kind of explained in a way where it's not bogged down in detail but it respects it if you know what i mean so very similar to what glow did and i love like we love watching glow because again, it explains the concept, but it doesn't um, baffle you with science, and it's very, it's very amenable for people who aren't wrestling. A face. Uh, the thing is, the final, the final season of Glow exists in script form. They were shooting it just before the pandemic, and then it all got kind of cancelled in in that whole Netflix pandemic cancelling spree. So I do think at some point, wrestling fans need to get behind the idea of campaigning to get that season arc wrapped up. Yes. They do, and I'm upset. Yeah, it's the fact that it's it's ready to. It's like there's a script waiting there, and 
There were so many other things. Like you could have cancelled it. So many other things. <laughs> but why did you cancel Glow? I think when they realised that Is It Cake would be as successful as something. <laughs> if the people involved, they went, uh, you know, we're good now. And it's also like in comparison to Glow, Is It Cake is probably dead cheap to make as well. Cheap to make, no rights clear. There's no need for a studio, you know. And all you need to do is think of things that could look like cake. <laughs> there's, part, there's part of me that goes, that's really annoying that that's a thing. There's also part of me that goes, shit, I should have thought of that. Have you watched it? <laughs> I have. I've watched a couple of episodes and it's so, so over the top. It's so intense. No pro and... wrestling as well. Like, they've just, like, they, they, you know at times they've just edited it to try and make a story out of, like, like a bad one, you know? I think everyone does that though, don't they? Like every everything is wrestling pretty much. Well, it is now for sure. Yeah, you know? Everything is wrestling. Uh, we should do your third and final match because we, we've wandered off on the most gorgeous <laughs> of tangents, which I was hoping this is what this would be. Uh, so let's go for your third and final match then. So what would you like the... So this is... So we, we've had the technical match with, with Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam. We've had a hard-hitting affair with Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome from One Night Stand. What's the third and final one going to be, Sam? I think, especially for UK fans, the greatest pay-per-view of all time is Royal Rumble 2000. Yes, yes, because it was live on Channel 4, the buyer's remorse Channel 4 pay-per-view. <laughs> their first WWF pay-per-view, and it was the one where they went, this isn't what you said it would be. We're cancelling this the first chance we get. Gosh, it was funny. What a show. Great show. Still holds up. Great show. Uh, you know, Taz debut. Excellent. You know, Dudley's Hardy's. That, you know. May Young got her tits out. Yeah. <laughs> That was the show where she did because they put those big censored things across the screen. It was it was this show where Channel because Channel Four bought the rights to WWF pay per views in December. And I think the first one was Armageddon, and uh, and then after a while they realised, hang on, didn't you tell us? Channel Four said to WWF, didn't you tell us this was like a family entertainment program? And they're like, yeah, it is. It's for fabulous. It's fun. Well, the last two pay-per-views you've done, someone's got their tits out. Like, and this particular time, it was an octogenarian. And there's blood and there's violence and there's gore and there's swearing. No, this isn't what you sold us, so we're going to cancel the contract as soon as we can. I mean, yeah, fair play, Channel 4. You can Yeah, me. they were right. They were right. <laughs> what, what a run. That was the pay per views. Oh, it certainly, it certainly was. The SummerSlam 2000, you know, just so good. Um, and yeah, top top to toe that card really, like you know, the Rocket is peak winning the Royal Rumble. You know, huge pop. But for me, um, you know, for a headliner of a Desert Island, Desert Island Graps pay per view. I'm going to sit and it's the only three things I can watch again. I want a storyline payoff or I want something that gets me in it. And that promo before Cactus Jack, Triple H, Royal Rumble 2000, which is my third match, that build up 
that anticipation, it being at Madison Square Garden, you know, it being Cactus Jack, all of the implied history of mankind, you know, the not being able to do it and then ripping off the shirt, bang, bang. You're like, and I don't know if it's a classic match to study for in-ring technicians, but it's a masterclass of two people at the very top of their game, completely different characters, being able in a, in a like a hot crowd, is a masterclass. It's just, I love it. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, if that's wrestling, if someone said to me, you know, show me a wrestling match, I'd show them the five minutes before that match. <laughs> like, this is like lots of it. Like there's also some stuff that's acrobatic that I love, but this is, if you don't, if you really hate this and we, we, there's no point in us going for anything else. What's the favorite, what's your favorite part of that match? I think I think all of the Foley spots, you know, where he'll pull something out and it would, ah! <laughs> you know, like, it's just that, like, it's such a wrestling thing where, like, you've got it's subtle and small movements, pulling a sock out, pulling a barbed wire, you know, wrap two before, you know, they, those moments have got so much history behind them. You know that the barbed wire is related to the year, related to Terry Funk and to Anita. Like it has implied moments of history, you know, knowing that like pedigree on a table, like what it means, you know, the, the timing of when to pull those spots. Like I just watch it and I'm like, that's great. That's great. The timing on that's brilliant. You know, the knowing that everybody knows the meaning behind the symbolisms. I love that stuff. It's, that's it's... what makes great wrestling to me. That's it. It's not always about it being like technically sound or particularly high flying. It is a combination of all things. It's the drama and the passion and the energy that comes into it. And it's so funny because that's one of those matches, Cactus Jack and Triple H, that's come up quite a few times on this show for yeah. multiple reasons. And uh, and I think a big part of it is it's because it's exactly what wrestling slash sports entertainment is all about. All the trappings are in there and all the, the tension and all the energy is in there. And it's it's pretty undeniable as a, as a, as a best of all time for some of those reasons. <laughs> and I think those matches that can give you that, you know, and the pay-per-views that pay that off, if the match delivers in the same way, it becomes truly memorable. You know, that, that really is my theory. I think that the matches I think back of, what matches do I love from, if I could only pick from like 2020 onwards, you know, they're all ones that have that sense of build, but the match still delivers. You know, Kenny Omega and Page against the Bucks, Revolution 2000s. You know, that, you know, the unlikely win the tag titles on a boat storyline of, you know, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. It's like, but the, the tag match revolution was so good. Using each other's moves, faking each other's moves, you know, trying to deliver, you know, a buckshot lariat or a super kick or whatever. And just the timing of knowing that, like, it builds you a depth of character. Like, those kind of matches, those kind of storytelling, you know, I think if I'm I'm intrigued Saturday for um, Elimination Chamber, I think Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns. I mean, by the time this comes out, it would have happened. So maybe I can be 
so bold as to say they've said uh, Montreal a lot on television. <laughs> uh, Heyman probably would not be one to sit back and not draw some kind of, well, you know, with there's some kind of screw job happening, I'm sure. But that build for Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns is so big. It's so been big. amazing. And what I've loved is about this sort of new regime as well, however the, the match ended up panning out, is that this is the big difference between how it's done now compared to how it's done then. In the sense that with a guy like Sami Zayn just so organically getting popular, a previous regime would have tried to push that down and try and avert everyone's gaze and look at this instead. This is where we're going. Whereas it's been allowed to breathe breathe and thrive to the point where like on Raw the week before Elimination Chamber, you've got Sami Zayn calling out Cody Rhodes and them addressing the fact that people are like, Sami should be in the main event and not Cody. And they're talking about it and they're owning it and they're making it part of the narrative. Rather than fighting against the tide, they're letting it wash over and they're letting it move. And I love that about this new era that we're in. Like it makes wrestling so much more palatable when you're not, when you feel like you're not being force fed something and something that's being organically, uh, engaging is being allowed to engage i think the death of every wrestling company has been when somebody organically gets over and the, the bookers say no mm. and you look at you know jericho ray mysterio the radicals like that was the end of wcw's mid-car core because they were all getting over you know that 1004 holds you know the, that dean malenko storyline for jericho is amazing like you realise that you couldn't get invest in any characters long-term because the moment that they'd get popular enough, you're just only going to see them lose or put in situations that you didn't like, you know? And I think that any time a company's ever tried to do that, it's killed it. The only reason it didn't happen with WWE in 2010 to 14 is because there was no alternative. You know, yeah. I think that's the absolute power era events where it's like i want to see this and everyone had to watch it i think good storytelling lets moments breathe and you that's know? what it's all about Amy Zane's got so much empathy it's wild like especially having you know watched jakara podcast to go go all of that so you know el generico from you know i did a photo shoot for an album campaign with an el generico show and like He's been one of my faves for a very long time. And he's just got so much empathy. I think Kevin Owens has that Foley empathy, you know, and I think that Sami Zayn has Jericho empathy. You know, like both of them have very different types of facial expression, but Sami Zayn's like, it's, it's over the top that he draws you in. His sympathy is really good. Him and Cody, I thought, was great back to back. I think I think we're going to see Cody Roman. I think it's, you know, and then probably the Usos, Ken, you know, versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I'm sure that's probably the likely pathway. That feels like a nice way to go. And it, I think it would be really good. You know, but I think what's great about it, and now this is a test of the new regime, I suppose, is if he loses and can't get the big one, how do they keep him hot for SummerSlam? When he beats Cody. Yo, he's put it out into the world. 
He's put it out into the world. I think, I, think you, I, I don't know. I think, where, you know, Kevin Owens is at a moment. I think Sammy, Sammy Zayn's time. Mm. It's a bit undeniable at this point, to quote Cody himself. It's a bit undeniable, and I love it. Uh, I find it funny that, you know, on Monday Night Raw, it's at the, at the Barclays Centre, it's a Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn main event programme in the lead-up to WrestleMania. 18 months ago, it seemed completely unfair. <laughs> thing you got insane. I said that about the Rumble. I said, like, the if you told me a year ago that the final... The, the final three in the Royal Rumble was going to be Gunter, aka Walter, Cody Rhodes, and Logan Paul. I'd have, I'd have assumed you were high, because <laughs> that's that's unfathomable. But there it was. I was like, yeah, okay. As you get older as a wrestling fan, you just learn to go, all right, whatever. <laughs> just yeah, of course that's happening. That's you fine. You forget how quick and how quick and slow wrestling is you know like it, it the the mad stat that i saw this week was that um we're now further from the very beginning of nitro to the finger poke of doom we're now further in the episodic number from the very first dynamite to now oh wow gosh yeah i suppose because nitro like in the grand scheme of things nitro whilst it was as you say about going slow and quick nitro was only around for four years it feels like you know now it was around forever as the embodiment of the history of wcw and it's like they almost spent as long beating wwf as they did tanking the whole product losing <laughs> million dollars and then having to sell themselves to vince for some down the sofa change to a billionaire did you uh, ever read the death of wcw the Albert, brian alvarez book yeah if if not, seek it out. It's yeah, it's really good. Oh, it's yeah. brilliant. And the audio book's good as well. So I read the I read it and um, when it came out um years and years back. I think I bought it got it from the library at Southland Library. And then um yeah, re recently I had an audible credit and I was like, stick that on in the background. So I'm I'm a server subscriber, so I'm kind of used to used to Brian Alvarez's his voice, but yeah, I mean it's a it's a really good book, it's but yeah, it's an audio book. It's worth it's a good it's a good five hours, I think. But it's worth a listen. Oh god, yeah. It's if you've got a long flight, it's something that will certainly keep you entertained. For... And I, I loved WCW because it was complete chaos. Like somebody <laughs> asked a question the other day, like, "What's a WCW pay per view to watch?" It's like if you want to see a definitive top to toe WCW pay per view, there's no such thing. <laughs> Every single one had at least two moments of pure madness that should just not be on there. <laughs> like a match, a moment, a skit or something where you're like, I don't really want to recommend that because this happens and you'll think I'm odd. On the um, on the, the classic Nitro review we do at Cultaholics, myself and Sam Driver watching Nitro week to week. As I say, we're going to do a 2001. We've got to get you on to see more of these because you'll, oh. Oh, you'll, you'll love the energy. It's great. Um, but... Um, we've just watched in fact we recorded it today because we were recording a lot of stuff in bulk i don't know when it might come out around this time it might have already come out on the podcast feed but it's the episode we're up to the episode where scott Hall scott hall turns up 
walking okay. down the walking down the the walking down the, through the crowd and you don't know you know who i am but you don't know why i'm here I'm like whoa this is a piece of history i was so excited like this is an amazing piece of nitro history i've only ever seen that bit of this episode can't wait to watch the rest of it that bit happens probably 14 minutes into an hour a two-hour episode of nitro the rest is rough the rest is rough but but this, but history has been kind and they go this is an iconic episode of night show you go okay well now that's happened what happens here okay the giant versus the shark okay <laughs> that's still that's still where we are it's we're in such this magical weird wonderland this 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 lost center place between doing the uh the, the sort of the hulk hogan comedy like cartoon character mid 90s and the birth of the nwo we're on this sort of weird middle ground where we're getting six of one and half a dozen of the other and it's just it's, it's sam it's, it's odd telly it's odd telly week to week because it's there's no, uh, there's no is there in, in nitro because it's like you've got like a t 10 month long hogan piper um program at the very top of the card for a period of time, at the same period of time that you've got Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Conan. And it's like, one, it's weird to think that they were on a Hogan Piper undercard. Oh, God, yeah. It doesn't feel right at all, does it? And two, it's just so jarring, like the pace and the, the promos. And like things like what I love about Nitro, I mean... I like I like Shivani. I think he's a good commentator. I I really like Shivani and Taz together and Excalibur. I think those three are really good. I think they offer like they offer the whole lineage of of the wrestling I like. You know, WCW, all of you know, PWG and and that kind of stuff, and of course ECW and and SmackDown. But um, Mark Madden is just I don't know if he's instructed to not pay attention, but you could not be watching Nitro and you could miss something. And by the time you turn around and go, what's going on? Mark Madden saying, what's going on? Always <laughs> <laughs> two seconds off everything. And I think in that, like Scott Hall Davies, it's like, who's that? It's like, mate, he's just walked past your table. It's razor fucking mate. <laughs> There's no, like, I, I get the suspension of disbelief, but it's like, mate, you've got monitors. Come on. And then well, I think it was, I think what was nice when we watched it was how it wasn't so much that it wasn't so much like, oh, who's that on this occasion? It was, it was more like Shivani was going, oh, wait, because they can't say his name because they'll get, <laughs> they'll get sued out the arse. They did anyway. But they're like, oh, hey, well, what's, th but then as Shivani's kind of making noises, um, Larry Zabisco is still trying to call the match in the ring, like trying to ignore what's happening in the crowd until it's obvious, oh God, he's coming our way. And then they don't say who he is because they legally can't. And then the font, like literally after that episode of Nitro aired, Vince McMahon said, right, that's our property. He had a Cuban accent. He threw a toothpick. He had his hair done in a certain way. You're ripping us off. We're going to sue you out the ass. Uh, meanwhile, in ECW at the time, Rick Bogner, who would go on to be Razor Ramon, is playing Slice and Dice Ramirez, coming <laughs> out to the ring, throwing toothpicks, and Vince is like, oh, that's fine. But this Scott Hall thing, well, that's, that's copying us. 
that's gotta go it's it's such a wonderful time in wrestling just as the war's hotting up and everyone is just being petty little bitches it's brilliant do you think in 20 years time that we will find out that slice and dice ramirez was actually paid for by vince to go and perfect his fake razor persona oh i mean i'm down for a theory like that because that that you know they'll always say oh ECW were on the payroll with WWF and Heyman dances around the issue and says well I took a check from WWF uh, but it doesn't necessarily you know the argument's amazing it's like I never got paid but the company did yeah and that's I, the one that's and the I was one of the owners of the company but it never went into my bank it's <laughs> like well you did then the ECW did get paid and uh, good you know like if if it gave it you know, it's all of that stuff. But I would I would kind of love to uh, one day for there to be a little... Like, I love... I'm obsessed with the, um, the the Monday Night War, those three promotions all at once period of time. Because there seems to be a universal hatred for Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo that I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just... I... I've a bit... Like, I... You know, Bischoff and Russo have both done great things, but Bischoff and Russo, and Bischoff and Russo butting heads. Oh, some of truly the worst television that I've ever watched, and I've seen it twice once with WCW and once with TNA. <laughs> and both times I was invested in that product to a point where, you know, I saw, I saw a pole match, I knew the writing was on the wall for, for TNA. <laughs> Maybe secretly you like it. Do I live for the job? I don't know. I was just thinking that, you know, I was Maybe like, Maybe you do. Is, is there a part of me that loves the nonsense part of wrestling? I was like, Yeah, totally. Well, I think wrestling's, like wrestling's best when it's inherently bollocks. Like, that's when it's at its best, when, when you've got like this sandbox style adventure. You can just go, Okay, this could be whatever it wants to be. He's a wrestling postman. Yeah, why not? <laughs> when you, when it's all open out, it's fantastic. That's the great thing. You can have um, superstar, um, real life heat and situations playing up at the top of the card. And yeah, and you can have wrestling postman versus the lawyer in the opener. <laughs> like, why not? Like, wrestling's weird. Like, there's nothing like it. And and I think anything that has managed to retain its identity as being unique, whilst adapting with the times, fair play to it. You know, I think we are we're totally spoiled at the moment. Um, you know, I think I think there was probably more great matches this year on the episodic TV shows than the history of the Monday Night Wars. It, uh, it's a good shout. That's you know, a I good think shout. There's a lot of good pay-per-view matches, but the TV matches, there was not that many in comparison to how many we've had this year already on just on Impact, Dynamite, Rampage, Raw and SmackDown. Like, we grew up at a time where the bar was raised so significantly that now we're watching a generation that come through learning that. Hmm. I'm excited for, for where things go as a wrestling fan, you know. I think it's, I think we had to, you know, we have, you know, people might refer to us one day as the brave soldiers of the Nitro era. <laughs> 
they they will look at us with the same with this with the same reverence as the people that you know that were alive during the pandemic like you were there during that time what was it like was it weird i was there during both yeah you did and for the pandemic which was worse (laughs) well the russo era in terms of wrestling television russo nitro i thought (laughs) I thought the companies did a good job during the pandemic. Like. Yeah, I, they're weird to watch now. I don't know whether you take time to watch any sort of the pandemic era wrestling shows now. Like, I put on an episode of Raw from like May of 2020 where it's just in the performance center. And I was just like, oh, this really is uncomfortable. weirdly uncomfortable. That's exactly the word I was going to use, uncomfortable. To watch. My, I suppose my favorite moment, though, was the, what was the AEW pay-per-view where they did um, Stadium Stampede 2? And they started in the stadium and then ended in Daly's place with the cra- with the full crowd. Oh yes, I remember was... almost like being in tears at that moment. I was like, "That is wild!" Like the symbolism of it, like, that transition. I thought that was such a nice touch. Rather yeah, than start so... in the ring and then work your way in, start outside and come back in, like metaphorically coming back. Yeah, and the mania with the crowds, you know, that that acknowledgement of transition. I think the Premier League did the same, you know. I think that that really actually did help with the transition out of the kind of lockdown mindset was watching crowds start to permeate wrestling fans again. And it's it's wild. Like, this is the first Wrestle Kingdom or New Japan show where cheering was allowed. Like, watching New Japan's been wild with the silence. Mm. It's been... Yeah, it's not been the same. But yeah, the, pand- yeah, the pandemic era... There are a few really good matches in it, but outside of the um, cinematic ones, I don't think I'm ever going to watch them again. I don't really want to trigger myself into <laughs> bedroom mania. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, we won't watch that again, but we would definitely love to welcome you back again, Sam, at some point, because uh, this has been a, a wonderful conversation about wrestling with with yourself. So well, we cannot thank you enough for coming on. as well. Uh, we're going we're gonna to watch your old Nitro as well. That needs to be done. If you're up for it, we'll get in touch. We'll set a date. We'll make it a thing. That's great. I'm up for that. That's going to be class. Um, Sam, let's let's send people your way. It has been an honor and a privilege to have you on Cultaholic Island. One of my favorite episodes we've ever done. I just just felt like chatting with a mate about wrestling. It's been lovely. Um, so I appreciate it, man. Where can people find out what you're up to, where you're doing? This is your time to plug stuff and shout from the rooftops about what you do um i'd say f- forget cape so f-o-r-g-e-t-c-a-p-e that's my handle on twitter so follow me on twitter and I- i'm up every wednesday night watching dynamite most monday nights watching raw so if you're a fan we get to there's there's a nice um after hour space where the rest of my music and other worlds are all asleep where it feels like the wrestling time so definitely follow me on twitter I'm always shouting about things i'm doing musically but also come and come and chat and give me shit for my choices today <laughs> hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, 
And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.